Mad Men of Mandoris. And just like, well, how come she can't be white? And I'm just like, actually, there is a very, very good story reason for behind like why she can't be white, both as a... She had a, too many superpowers. No, on a... <laughs> God, that cuts me to the bone. That was fucking amazing. The, uh, oh. 2010 film... Uh, yeah, with uh, Jackie... Gleason? <laughs> <laughs> that was that was that was wonderful. Jackie Weaver is her name. Uh, yeah, that's just a fantastic. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I'm sorry, just Mad Libs in my fucking head. I'm sorry. I guess. <laughs> oh boy, the 2010 film Jackie Gleason. <laughs> Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Tiegman. Hey there again, everybody, and welcome into another bonus episode of Film Tank. I am Alex Diegman, along with Tucson Egan and Nick Cheney. Hello. Hello. And on this bonus episode, we're going to discuss a couple things, mainly the, the week that was here, uh, which is um, in late April, well, I guess mid to late April of 2016, uh, just discussing movies that have come out, also discussing what we've been watching and viewing and, and doing in the world of movies. Uh, also going to talk about another uh, quite major topic that came about the last week or so, which is the uh, film version of Ghost in the Shell. So we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, first, though, since uh, we are recording this on April the 21st, wanted to, to start off the episode by just talking for a minute or two about Prince, who, uh, un- unfortunately and un- untimely, um, I guess untimely is not really a, a, a phrase for that, but it was very... He was know, 57. Yeah, in, in terms of getting caught off guard by uh, a celebrity's death, um, Prince Dine at the age of 57 today was was quite shocking. And uh, as I was mentioning to Dusan earlier, um, the, the firestorm of social media slash um, people in the world reacting to this really for me felt somewhat unprecedented almost uh it made me feel a little bit like when um osama bin laden got killed and it was just no for real though but yeah, it's, like, like everyone in, has some a reaction yeah, to it in yeah. terms of the social media the way that it kind of exploded it was it was quite quite extensive mm-hmm. so um i don't really have that much to say about prince uh there are two main things that i remember prince other than uh, him being the artist formerly known as Prince and trying to change his name to a symbol. Uh, <laughs> I, I remember him performing at the Super Bowl the year the Bears played in the Super Bowl. And I remember his music uh, in the first Batman movie, which we've talked about before on this podcast. Yeah. And however ridiculously bad it may be, uh, it's still a major part of, of that film and of, of culture of that time. So... Um, someone who I know has a lot more to say, or at least somewhat more to say about Prince is Toussaint. Um, and I guess I'll let you take it away. Hey, thanks, man. 
So I'm going to admit this that like like Alex said that he wasn't that big into Prince and Nick himself and his in his quietude is is <laughs> yeah. kind of consenting that he was I've not really... never listened to a Prince song in his entirety. <laughs> and, that's, and that's totally <laughs> I'm fine. I'm not trying like, to in, say that to be an asshole. I just and in the same way, like even for me, like I didn't have a lot to do with Prince. Like I've read a lot about him in in the lieu of like what has happened occurring for today. But like what I really want to talk about is just. I've taken to um, unofficially, like colloquially, referring to this year as the year of the reaping or the year of the reaper, just simply because I feel like this has been a year where major icons that perhaps were not always central to my life, but sort of like were the silent architects of the invisible structure of culture that surrounds me in ways that I, I never knew about, like are sort of coming to the forefront through their death. Like David Bowie, when he passed away, um, I was actually out of state. And then when I came back, I finally listened to his final album, Black Star. And that rocked my world a little bit just because of the fact of how prolific he was as a as an actor, as he was as a musician. But the fact that he did something that I feel like as somebody who consumes a lot of art, a lot of artists don't get to do. Like they, he made his death into the final like denouement of his of his life's work. And in that way, he kind of taught us how to live by creating art that is important. And I feel like maybe Prince didn't necessarily get that. But when I, I learned the news, like I, I work from home. So I, I was just hyping at my computer and I just thought to go upstairs and like talk to my mom. Cause I, I was actually asking myself like whether or not she was a huge um, Prince fan. And I just went in there and I just talked to her, held her hand. I told her that Prince had passed away and she was just bewildered and shell-shocked and like she we hugged and she like sobbed into my shoulder for like a good 10 minutes i had never seen my mother like moved by such a but by by a, a celebrity death like this so i know that it mattered because she he was only 57 and like like she just told me is like you know i'm only like 55 like this year has been something that watching these these major icons like Umberto Eco and David Bowie and like Prince and Five Dog from a tribe called Quest and Maurice yeah. White from I was, was going to say the, even even people in the in the film uh, realm like Ellen Rickman yeah yeah, yeah it it's just been it, it's it's been been totally nuts and i think that really the the biggest takeaway to bring back to this is just how important it is that we are able to appreciate the fact that these people created art because art is something that does not fit into a utilitarian focus. Like we we're not just automatons. We create things because they're not only extensions and reflections of the human experience. They are the human experience. Like nobody told us to come to this room a year ago, so to speak, and start this podcast. But I would still come to do this podcast with you guys because I enjoy like sharing movies experiences with two very, very good friends of mine. And I, it, the fact that people listen to it is just an added bonus to it. So really the only thing that we can take away from this day, um, as sad as it is to have to see such an icon pass away is to just remember to inject as much joy and as much art and as much experience as we can out of life because it is so fleeting and so finite. Well put, man. That was, that was, that was nice. Yeah. Good stuff. Nick, I uh, assume you don't really have anything to say. I don't know. Okay, I apologize. No, <laughs> fine. don't yeah. don't apologize. I mean, when because me and Dusan grabbed a bite real quick before we came over here, and I was I was telling him like I honestly 
don't even. And that's that's totally <sighs> fine. Like grief only always becomes sort of like a nexus pool that pulls into the people that are most close to it. And like when we're not on the in group of that, it's sort of like a marvel to kind of like like spectate on, like to just try to like understand and grasp because you can't really explain to somebody a song. You can't explain to somebody how a song moved you or shaped you from a very early age. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I, I think I just have really macabre reactions to celebrity deaths, which is like the worst uh, case scenario. Well, it's not even that, but just that I, I wouldn't say like, I, I don't get happy when a celebrity dies or something, but like my, shall we no, just hold on? <laughs> let me try to yeah. explain this and yeah. through. but like my, my interest and just, I know this is just a consumerism thing, but my interest in their work would just, you know, either reinvigorates itself, mm-hmm. like uh, Gary Shandling died earlier this yes, month, yeah. who created my favorite show of all time, and that's a show I don't need to rewatch, so to speak, because I've seen it a million times, and yet once that happened... You I, have yeah, to watch it again. And now I kind of want to listen to Prince, you know, whatever. So it as just as an extension to motivate me to branch out of either my comfort zone and to listen to music I ignored all my life. Or because to, that's the bookend. Right. Then it, you know, it, 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 there can be the faintest sliver of good that comes out of these kind of moments. And usually that's what I focus on. Yeah. yeah. So. I was going to say, I, I also feel... I'm happy when people die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we, we kind of assumed so. Yeah. No, I, I've never really in celebrities, athletes, that kind of thing. It, it, the only one that I can say that's ever really gotten to me and has made like my mood change in any way, shape, or form was Robin Williams when he when he passed away, which was a uh, that hurt. Yeah, that, hurt that was like just just unfortunate. Just uh, the whole events surrounding it and um, just kind of what I think of when I think of Robin Williams and not that it was, was tainted or anything like that, but it was just like sad that he was no longer going to just be there to, even if he made a bunch of shitty movies like RV and stuff like that, like just the idea of his amazing voice and reactions and face being there is, is, was just kind of disappointing. I mean, up until I I only watched a couple episodes after the fact, after you passed uh, with uh, that show with Sarah, Michelle Geller, the crazy ones, the, the crazy ones. And he was still, Oh, on yeah, it, I mean, he was he was still as sharp as he was like years ago. He he was dishing out like the repartee so well. Um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I've I've never I've, I had that experience with Robin Williams, and I had that experience with uh, a really obscure um, Japanese like hip hop artist who was really fundamental in like getting me into hip hop. And I was like, that happened sophomore year. I was despondent for like two weeks. It was just really hard. But um, yeah, so. Go out there and make art, guys. Yeah, for real. And it's, uh, you know... Or for... go enjoy it. Yeah, Either go way. enjoy it. Go experience it. Go do it. And and I, I guess for, for something like Prince and, and, and just for people in general who are uh, landmark people in terms of arts or in society or in pop culture or whatever... I mean, when when something like this happens, and Prince, who I honestly haven't thought about in in years, like even thought about his name really, other than maybe a random reference, see today that people really responded, and when you know they heard that he had passed away, so yeah. that's uh, tells us something about who we are as, as people. Definitely. So moving on, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, what we've been up to and uh, what's just going on too in terms of the movie landscape, as we're like sitting right before. The, the fucking storm of summer blockbuster movies. It's going to be unleashed in a couple of weeks with Civil War, and then 
it's the one a week for the next three and a half months after that, pretty much. So (laughs) Tucson and Nick are both just ready to go hibernate for the summer and and stay away from that. That's true. I don't like the heat. (laughs) Do you want to just like hunker down and just like watch David Lynch films? Okay. (laughs) Let's just do that. Don't get him too excited, man. Yeah. Don't don't tease me. (laughs) I'm being totally serious anyway. So why why don't we start with Nick since it is... Uh, is not usual. You have not had much to say so far. <laughs> so <laughs> it's so funny because you, <laughs> you usually just keep on talking. Uh, so why don't we start <laughs> with you, though, and uh, you can tell us what you've been up to lately. Well, let me see here. I actually have not watched that many films for me because <laughs> uh, I've been watching a lot of TV. Uh, but one thing, let's see here. Oh, I rewatched uh, Animal Kingdom. The uh, oh. 2010 film. Uh, yeah, with uh, Jackie Gleason. <laughs> that was that was that was wonderful. Jackie Weaver is her name. That is yes. Uh, and uh, uh, the breakout role for Joel Edgerton Joel and Edgerton. also Ben Mendelsohn as well, right? My boy Ben. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's just a fantastic. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I'm sorry, just Mad Libs in my fucking head. I'm sorry. I guess. <laughs> Oh boy! The 2010 film Jackie Gleason. <laughs> oh my god! I can't do this. <laughs> this is going the intro. Isn't First, you it? take me to a shitty anime movie last night. I'm and, sorry. And now you mistake an Australian woman who's currently living with Jackie Gleason. Hey, it's it's like someone the honeymoon going, is over. Someone going to see the Brandon Routh Superman Returns, and they they have the part with. With Marlon Brando, they're like, I thought he was dead. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. So Jackie Weaver in Animal yeah. Kingdom. Animal Kingdom, which I believe she was nominated for an Oscar, which is kind of uh, rare for a foreign country to land in a major category um, like that. And uh, it's very well deserved because I absolutely love this movie. I'm, uh, I've said it before when we talked about Black Mass and maybe even Casino a little bit that gangster movies in general are not my thing. Um, I don't like dislike them the same way I may dislike superhero movies, <laughs> but I never really get too involved with one. Uh, but this one absolutely uh, transcends that for me because I feel like if you take away the gangster element, it's still a very engrossing, like, dysfunctional family drama. And But the way that those two kind of genre, subgenres, whatever you want to call it, work together is just beautiful. And every performance in it, I think, is stellar. And it's just a really, really tense movie for a variety of different reasons. Like, you know, from the tense scene of the uh, the SWAT team going towards the house when they think that um, the the kid is there or whatever. I'm being very vague because really everybody should just go see it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think enough people have. Or even just tense and like two people in a room staring at each other because you have no idea what the other person's going to say next, usually revolving with a scene with Ben Mendelsohn because his character is fantastic in it. Um, just the way he puts... There's a scene, I'll just to give a little sample there's a scene where he takes the main character and just to keep in mind you know ben mendelson is like what 50 something maybe 40 something yeah i was gonna say probably like mid to late 40s closer to 50 than most i think Mm -hmm. uh and he takes his nephews who's in high school i think uh girlfriend to bed like because she had too much to drink just that gesture is just one of the creepiest images i've seen and that's all he does in that scene but uh yeah it's just a 
Livewire movie. It's fantastic, and it has one of the my favorite, uh, and I'm not going to spoil it, but uh, shall we say first act plot development. Not plot development, but uh, first act actions. <laughs> Something happened in the first act that I feel like for the first time you see it, you, you wouldn't realize that the movie was going to be much different from that point forward. I was going to say, I, I believe, if I'm, I'm, I'm quite certain I'm thinking of the same thing you are, it was a very Alfred Hitchcock-like move yes. uh, in, the, in the opening, and you're just like, oh, all right, that's nice. And uh, it's done by the very people you would think would do it. I mean, <laughs> it's, just, it just, it's a blind side in so many different ways, and I love it. So uh, Animal Kingdom is fantastic. Then the only other thing I really got around to was uh, a lot of shitty movies. Um, <laughs> I have this wonderful set that's like got 200 movies of drive-in cult cinema. <laughs> They're just really bad movies. One I watched was called The Mad Men of Mandoris, which is from 1963. Mad Men of Mandoris. The best part about this movie is that the description is very vague. It basically says, like, these men uh, from Mandoris, like, are getting together to, like, take over the world. Like, you know, it's just the most general whatever. What they leave out is that they're actual plan is that apparently a long time ago the, these madmen uh, cut off Hitler's head and saved it in a jar and they're trying to reanimate his corpse to take over the world. That's what you posted on Twitter. Yeah, okay. so that's what I was watching. I, I've got to tell you that sounds amazing. It was pretty great. It, I hope we can do an episode on we, it Maybe we can. And um, <laughs> It really actually wasn't that bad of a movie because it was very <laughs> no, cause, like, it was very campy and like it knew what it was and I was really uh, I will say, like, I didn't really like the movie that much but it wasn't like a bad movie it just wasn't very good so to speak so it didn't really necessarily accomplish what you were going for which exactly was to be so bad they were like god this is fucking awful right <laughs> like it, it, it was just i was pleasantly surprised by the fact that i didn't dislike it as much as i thought i would and part of that is because uh from that era like the sets are just kind of cool because they're all made up you know like when they're walking through alleyways and you're like oh they're on a sound stage because that just doesn't happen anymore and mm. all that kind of cheesiness um the only other, the, the other bad movie i watched was a bad movie and it was from that same set and that one oh about i gotta tell you about this because there's one scene in particular i'm just gonna tell you exactly what happened it's, the movie is called Terror at Red Wolf Inn, and it's from 1972. And the premise is that a girl, a college girl, somehow, like, I think she, I can't remember anymore because it's all fleeting very fast, but she either gets called or a letter that says that she won, she wins a trip to go stay at this at this inn. I don't know really and this who. this creepy-ass inn. Yeah, I don't know who In Aruba. gets these kind of, yeah. <laughs> So, of course, she accepts. I don't oh, know yeah. what, if classes were canceled or I don't know. But um, <laughs> So she goes to this inn, and she. what's so weird is that it's, it's supposed to be a horror movie, but it's not that scary, except for one thing, which wasn't scary, but actually effectively creepy. But anyway, so she just starts living with this very weird and creepy family. There's a creepy mother, a creepy father, and then their creepy son. Is she like a... Like abandoned child or something, or is the Adams family the um like, you mean the the college girl? Yeah, no, no, she just went to go live <laughs> with them. Now hold on, when she gets there, she there are two them. other random college girls there, and they talk about other college girls that were there before them. So this is like a thing that has been happening. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil the ending as okay. to what this situation is. Okay. So the the family are cannibals, and they they they, they like to eat college girls, specifically college girls, I guess. So they don't halfway like the, through they the don't movie, like the D. yeah. 
halfway through the movie, one of the college girls disappears, and then you can kind of start catching on to where this is going, whatever. But hold on. There is a scene in this movie, okay, uh, the college girl that we follow, uh, the protagonist, so to speak, is, uh, this, this inn is over by a beach, so she's on the beach, and she's walking around and whatnot, and then their son, who's her age, falls in love with her throughout the course of the movie, because of, of course. Man, if, <laughs> if this were Polish, if it were a musical and it were about mermaids, it would be the Lord. <laughs> Actually, it kind of reminded me. Of it. No, 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 seriously. I was watching it with someone who wouldn't know what that is, yeah. but I was like, this is starting to remind me of a very bad version of The Weir because I love that movie uh, from Sundance. But no, this is, but hold on here. There's a scene when she's on the beach and her and the son of the family are kind of starting to fall in love at this point. And I'm not kidding. What I'm about to describe happens exactly the way it happens. So at they're both on the beach, and at a certain point, he's got his fishing rod in the water, and oh, he's, no. oh, he's fishing. Oh, oh god! On. And he's um, he's fishing, whatever. And th- then they just start talking, and he puts his pole in the sand, or whatever. <laughs> so, uh, no, this isn't a euphemism. Seriously, hold on. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, he gets a bite, so he starts reeling it in. Okay, he reels in a baby shark. He caught a baby shark, and I'm talking like an actual, like it didn't look like a fake shark. It looked, so he takes the baby shark off of the hook, he takes it up in the air, and then he just starts beating the shit out of the baby shark. I'm talking like slamming it down on the ground over and over and over. This lasts for at least like a minute or so. And then when it's clear that the shark is still kind of alive, he just keeps going or whatever. He he leaves the shark on the ground. He stands up. He looks at the girl and he goes, "I think I love you." And then he just walks off the beach. <laughs> it is the most romantic moment I think I've ever seen in a movie. But that's uh, that's how one character declares uh, romantic intent. There's also a scene in which the entire family has dinner and it goes on for ten minutes, and it literally is just shot reverse shots of people stuffing their faces for ten minutes. So. Terror at Red Wolf Inn, guys. Check it out. That's a four-star movie. Woo! Mm-hmm. Boy, that is... Okay. Yeah. That's not good. That's, uh... Wow. I thought I had seen some pretty bad movies, but hmm. that sounds, uh... Well, if you guys don't mind, if I go really quickly, I just yeah. have a couple... Only if you can top that. No, I can't, uh, unfortunately. I have, I have a couple to, uh, to throw out there. Uh, I viewed for the first time at home uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens on Blu-ray, and Mm -hmm. it looks fantastic on Blu-ray and at home. Mm -hmm. And I actually, uh, I want to say that this is kind of a rare occasion, but I actually enjoyed watching it at home on my television more than I liked seeing it in the theater. You're going to love the screening room when that finally comes up. Do you know what the screening room is? Yeah. Uh, do, would you like to explain it, Nick? No, you can. You brought it up. Okay, so the screen, screening room is basically this new initiative like that's being like raised up where this guy found a streaming company where you can pay like a monthly fee in order to have like theater films like streamed oh, directly to your... No, I, I was saying this is a quite a, a rare occasion for me. Like I usually very much prefer being in the theater. Okay, yeah. This was just a weird... I was yeah. surprised that I was like, man, I'm, I'm, this looks so good and I... I guess I just enjoyed watching it in the in the confines of my home yeah. instead of seeing it in the theater because usually be, it's the other way around. It also might be the fact that it is Star Wars, so there's like I would say an undeniable sense of hype from when it was in the theater that mm-hmm. obviously hasn't died down, but has certainly dissipated a little bit since yeah. then. Yeah, but it was just uh, I was very happy happy to watch it, and it looks absolutely terrific. And it was uh, I enjoyed it just as much as the first two times I saw it, so I was very happy about that. Hmm. 
Uh, the other two films I wanted to mention real quickly are Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Ah. Uh, it's called the Sorcerer's Stone, but we, we know what its real name is. Yeah. Uh, and I watched that, and I fell asleep during it the last time I watched it. So this time, I stayed awake the entire way through. Such a trooper. I was going to say, uh, if you compare it to the other Harry Potter films, this this one is actually quite dull, I think. And it's... Uh, it it was just kind of meh. it seems that Chris Chris Columbus was trying too hard to get the feel right and also working with child actors who had really never worked before it's... and trying to stay completely dedicated to the books and it just seems like watching it you can see everybody's working with one hand tied behind their back the whole time. And it definitely showed in terms of the, the final product because it's just not as good as a lot of the other ones. Yeah, compared to the other one, it, for me, it might be the best adaptation mm-hmm. because it is so verbatim. Like, not saying that, that everything is from the book, but as far as, like, how that book is written and how it goes from scene to scene, like, it, it, that is how that yeah. first book develops. And part of that's also because it's got so much more world building than the rest of the books. But as far as, like, movie watching goes, it can be a little tedious, especially when we already know that he's the boy who lived and all that kind of junk. You know, it's like watching a pilot for a show you already love, so to speak. Well, and I, I think... The the other issue is that one of my favorite villains, uh, portrayals of a villain anyways, was, has been um, Ray Fiennes playing Voldemort, because I thought he was absolutely fantastic as Voldemort. Oh, yeah. You didn't, you didn't care for him? No, I mean, that's oh. like I, I just didn't know that was one of your favorite portrayals. Like, oh, that's oh really no, cool. I just love... Who's your other favorite portrayal of Voldemort? Shut up. Such a fucking dick. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I meant. Anyways... Uh, just seeing that as like some random voice talking in the back of that guy's head is just like after seeing the rest of how the series played out, you're just like, oh, that's fucking limp. <laughs> um, to use one of Toussaint's favorite references, yeah. But it was, you know, it, it's uh, it's still a very entertaining movie, especially going back and knowing where Emma Watson and Daniel Radcliffe are. Not so much Rupert Grint, <laughs> but seeing them as like you know. Eight-year-old, nine-year-old children. It was pretty. That was, that was a something. So yeah, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, Sorcerer's Stone, whatever you want to call it, just, just, just okay in my book. But yeah. So moving on to Toussaint, uh, let's let's hear really quickly about what you. Uh, have been up to here lately okay so my film watching uh for the past week has been kind of like made of peaks and valleys because i watched two very shit films and two and and one euphorically good film like it was so fucking good so, but i want to start with like one of the low points and that was watching uh, hardcore henry <laughs> which uh if you haven't heard about that film it is basically an action film that is Filmed entirely with a fucking GoPro. So just think of like Crank only with Wait, a GoPro. it was filmed with a GoPro? It was filmed with a GoPro. I didn't know that yeah. shit. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, I knew it was first person. It's, but... it's not It's not seamless though. There are dream sequences and there are crazy shit like that. And it's like, it's, it's basically, I walked out of that just feeling really, really upset that I, I paid attention and paid the, the money to go see this film, even though like there were some cool parts about it. I was Did like, Dad, go see this. No, okay. I went to go see this on my this own. This was a Tucson choice. This was a Tucson choice, and you know what? I knew it was going to be bad, but I didn't know it was going to be that bad. It's basically, it. I, I've been reading reviews all over the place, just saying it's like, oh man, it's like a video game movie. And I'm just like, oh fuck, that's so basic, and they're just they're just like giving it a pass, just basically like soft, like throwing it like a, like a underhand. 
I haven't like, read a single good review of this. I have actually. Where like, are you reading these? I, re- I read one on Pace. The internet. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> you um, can find anything you want on here. <laughs> but um, basically, I just thought that this entire story was the most hackneyed mess of of bullshit tropes from like very very bad like Call of Duty knockoff video game plots like there's an antagonist who's psychic who you have no idea you don't know anything about him Tim Roth too right I I think so yeah and he's in it I know that much and there's uh what's his name Shalto Copley who basically plays like this this one character who plays many different roles and it's like that guy's career is basically in the toilet right yeah yeah it is I mean he was part of like one of the shining points in that entire film but even that is kind of like smothered in shit like he not everybody can be Andy Serkis (laughs) he He's had one major role that people thought was really good when it was his Chappy. like coming out party and get the fuck out of here, would you? Yeah. Trying to have a real moment here, like that uh, his coming out party in in District Nine. Yeah. People enjoyed his his portrayal in that film, and ever since then, I don't, I can't think of one thing he's done that was even passable. No, yeah. he, he really hitched himself to the wrong horse when he went with uh, Blumkamp. Blumkamp, yeah. So, are you excited for the sequel, Softcore Sammy? Oh, don't, don't, because they might be a sequel. Who knows? Please don't. There will be. I mean, there's going to be a sequel to Now You See Me. Well, a third one. I mean, a third one. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, anyway, I want to talk about the actual really good film, and that was Best of Enemies, which was a documentary that I found on Netflix about the 1968 presidential uh, debates between Gore Vidal and William F. Buckley. And if you don't know who William F. Buckley is, he was actually, during that time, he was the the conservative uh, philosopher of his time. He was the Sean Hannity of his time, but to say, but to compare Sean Hannity to him is like comparing an ant to the sun. Like, even if I don't like William F. Buckley, I don't like his arguments at all. Like he was a masterful debater and Gore Vidal was a masterful talker. But what is really interesting about this is that it, it basically like draws it back to, you know how shit like, public discourse for like American politics is nowadays where it's pretty much like a theater of demagogues who are just like shouting at each other like from back to back this was the origin of that the 1968 presidential like the the, the way that this entire documentary goes for it's like, it doesn't show the entire debates it shows like the context of what was going on at that time and I read a couple of reviews on on Letterboxd that were like I wish I saw more of the review the, the, uh, the actual debates but that's not the point of the actual documentary it's like it's basically showing how this one moment was where the fabric of political discourse in our country was torn asunder and then recon- recon- recontextualized into this Frankenstein patchwork. It's uh, It was one of the most enrapturing, mesmerizing, and just disheartening things I've watched in a long time. It's like what boxing is to other people this was to me i just loved watching these guys go at it so i would definitely recommend it i gave it a 4 4 4 out of 5 so yeah. you you guys should definitely like watch it whoever's listening should watch it too high praise yeah um and then like as nick kind of alluded to before towards the beginning of this episode uh we went to go see an anime film last night called project ito uh the empire of corpses and it was bad i i was not I was not pleased coming out of the theater. I was looking forward to it because it had a really good premise, which was basically taking place before um, 
like in, in the midst of the 19th century where there's this guy named John Watson, if you know who that is, who resurrects his friend Friday and then has to go on a journey in order to find like Dr. Frankenstein's notes in order to like basically give his friend his soul back. The fact that the subtitle for this movie wasn't His Gal Friday makes me really pissed off. Yeah, I know. I was I was really weirded out by that. And I was just like, is, is Friday supposed to be a girl or a boy? And it's like, I'm really confused right now. <sighs> yeah, but... um. Yeah, that w- that was really well animated, but it's a really uh, shit film. Don't go see it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> yep. It's a public service announcement. <laughs> yeah, don't go see it. Yeah. So speaking of anime, uh, the real reason why we did this kind of separate bonus episode, well, also deciding to, to record an episode later tonight on, on the movie Fight Club, was that uh, Toussaint has some very strong feelings about uh, some interesting pop culture debates that have come up uh, recently here this week. Yeah. Uh, and this is in regards to the uh, upcoming film of Ghost in the Shell, which uh, was originally an anime uh, property in terms of it being an anime movie mm-hmm. and was it a, a book or, or just was... a short or, or why don't you explain a little more and then get into your kind of thoughts on everything Tucson okay because I know that um like my other two hosts are not really into anime so it's 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 fine it's like my I'm just going to explain what Ghost in the Shell is Ghost in the Shell as a franchise is a comic book Japanese call it a manga and then it was a film in 1995 and then it was adapted into a television series in 2003 and then it was adapted into a series of short like mini episode films like here after that like it's it's roughly four different continuities that kind of like seg into one another um and basically the general gist of it is that it is a aforementioned cyberpunk um like story it basically takes place in a far off future like 2029 respectively um, in an alternate universe where there have been like two different world wars, and basically it is the, the easiest way to Wait, hold on now, now back up here. Now you say it's a, it's a very far off in a way, which is in 2029, <laughs> and you say there have been two world wars when in fact there have been two world wars. So there have been two world wars since oh, World War II. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I try to clarify with that. Okay. There was a small scale nuclear World War Three, and then there was a non nuclear World okay. War Four which was the second Vietnam War. This all makes more sense now. Continue yeah. on. Okay. <laughs> um, so basically the way to sum it up as a genre is that it is a philosophical, like military science fiction drama and basically takes place around uh, this higher echelon, like group, this intelligence group within Japan called Section 9 that's led by a character named the Major. And basically they solve domestic hostage situations and cybercrime. And the, the, the reason why it's called Ghost in the Shell is that this takes place in a future where people are able to use prosthetic bodies that allow them to have superpowers, basically, basically super strength and other things like that. But they're able to basically um, switch out their consciousness, their ghosts in sort of a way into these different so-called shells. So Sweet. Yep. <clears throat> Sounds like a movie I'd go see, to be honest with you. As long as it starred a white person. Oh, that's see, that's the problem. Um, see, uh, looks go- like we accidentally stumbled into something here. <laughs> actually, you didn't. You actually co- constructed this episode entirely off the fact that when news. Thanks for not playing along. When- I'm not going to play along. <laughs> I guess not. Yeah, you uh, made that abundantly when, clear. When uh, when news broke uh, roughly last week that Scarlett Johansson was going to. Well, I already... No, I was going to say, let's just back up the truck a little bit, because yeah. she was, they're already filming this film, and yeah. people knew she was going to be Yeah, I was going to gonna say, news beforehand. broke of that. I, I know. I, I pushed so that. So what happened this week? 
the first photo was released. The first photo was released. And then it, people it just, forgot she was white. Well, it was just. It, I think it was more in the events surrounding uh, the, the studio because you know people in, a, in our very visual culture saw the first photo of it, and then they the studio uh, tried to make it seem. Uh, a little bit better, and they made things ten times worse. Yeah, news came out. Um, first off, Motoko Kusanagi uh, is a Japanese character in the original, like, continuing. And people have been debating. That is a character that Scarlett Johansson will be playing. Yes, that's the the, the aforementioned major. So um, that's who she's going to be be playing as. Um, and basically, the this entire week has just been a shit show for me because I've just been tripping into arguments all over the place with people. About how it's like, well, she's a robot and she can switch out her consciousness all the time. And just like, well, how come she can't be white? And I'm just like, actually, there is a very, very good story reason for behind like why she can't be white. Both as a... She had a, too many superpowers. No, on a... <laughs> God, that cuts me to the bone. That was fucking amazing. That, that just... Oh that my. was so great. Oh, oh that was a, that was an all-time... <laughs> Jesus. Uh, God damn. <laughs> That kills me. That was great. Oh man, oh, man. we gonna stop. <laughs> we gonna stop right there. All right, fight uh, the power. Don't even need no. to hear what Tucson <laughs> No, uh, please, Tucson, continue. Okay, thank you. I'm an asshole. The, no, it's fine. It's uh, white privilege. Uh, <laughs> yeah, basically, um, there there's two very big reasons why uh, Matoko Kusanagi should not be portrayed by a white woman. Uh, both on a personal level of of her as a character, and also on how that character actually relates to the world of Ghost in the Shell and their actual role in it. And it's been kind of disheartening because I've come up against a lot of like Japanese people online who have just said, "It's like I don't really care." Um, and it's just like, are these just to ask? Are these Japanese people who live in Japan no. or Japanese people who live in America? Because I kind of see two different Japanese people sides. who live in America and Japanese people who live in Japan also like have kind of like a lukewarm reception to it. Simply because I, I, I it kind of disheartens me a lot because I feel like we're acquiescing to this so-called immutable force of Hollywood gentrification and how like it's buffered by another immutable force, which is economics. I mean, you have to appeal to all the white people, otherwise your film won't get made. And just that that kind of uh, that kind of like really gets under my skin, especially with the uh, video released from uh, Max Landis, who wrote. Uh, uh, American Ultra, which was a very bad film, and that he constantly has to tout every single argument that he has as to why people don't like original films because they didn't go see American Ultra. Like being an original <laughs> film does not not preclude or save your film from being a shit film. Also, that movie was just Chuck with the bong. So yeah, yeah, it, it really was. Um, so basically, going back to my my argument about it, it's like it it doesn't make sense for Motoko Kusanagi to be um, to be white. In, in this portrayal, mostly because, well, her nationality is Japanese. And I'm not saying there can't be Caucasian, like, Japanese nationals. There are many that I know of that I'm actually friends with. But Emma Stone. Um, <laughs> I mean, we're going to get back to that whole Aloha situation where, like, she played, like, a half, like... Yep. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, that's what people were, were talking about. I was like, well, why can't she just be half Japanese? Because <laughs> Scarlett Johansson is not half Japanese. Which side of her face? God damn it. We okay. can just CGI her to make her look more Asian. And that's another thing that came out. It was like they, the studio tried to like CGI the, the, the white actors to look more Asian, and that just fucking – that's computer-assisted like, like – I- I mean, I guess it's better than the alternative. I just see the studio executive. No, it's not. It's I just, not. Really not. I, I, I was saying if they had casted an Asian, I just see it looks more white. 
I have this mental image in my head of the studio executives sitting down with a Wii and making their own little Wiis. <laughs> Like putting the eyebrows closer together, and like, oh, this is so marketable now. No, like, oh, man. no, God. everybody's happy. Come on, yeah. I gotta say, I think they casted Scarlett Johansson because they watched the movie Lost in Translation, and they didn't realize that she was a tourist in that movie. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's that's actually a pretty good one. I like that. Um, yeah, it doesn't make sense for her to be Japanese because her name's Matoko Kusanagi. Um, it's derived from Japanese etymology and trying now, to like, flex that. Is the is the story changing at all? Like, is she going to have a different name see, in the film? See, here's the thing. I don't think that the name is actually changing, and I think that it's actually set in Japan. And I think that's even fucking worse for hmm. this character to be be Caucasian because see. Here's here's what I'm going to give the background for this because I already told you what Section Nine is. It's basically a task force that's used for like hostage rescue and high level cybercrime. It's housed in the fiction of this of this universe. It's housed within the uh, um, basically the Office of in, of Internal Affairs. It's a subgroup of the JSDF, which is the Japanese um, Self Defense Force, which was established in I think in 1954 after the Allies won World War II because the Japanese weren't allowed to have a standing army anymore after that, so they were allowed to have a, a self defense force uh, that could be deployed selectively by the UN. Uh, it doesn't make sense for Matoko Kusanagi to be white and to be head of a covert black ops unit housed within the JSDF. Like that would never happen. That's like that's like the British MI6 being staffed entirely by Japanese nationals. That's like that's like an Iranian-born non-naturalized expatriate becoming the head of the CIA. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Can I ask you a question, just purely from a from a film perspective? Mm-hmm. And if you're a studio and you don't give a shit about what the story is, if, they you're, don't. if you're a studio head and you and you don't, which we which we know that, that they they don't yeah. already, we we know that uh, for the most part in in every studio, we know there are lots of people in work in studios that do, mm. but the people who are only driven by the financial aspects of films really honestly don't, uh, and at least that's the impression I get most of the time, and. I'll say two things about it and and not disagreeing with anything you're saying because mm-hmm. I, I don't know anything about the Ghost in the Shell story. Yeah, that's fine, yeah. And I, and I honestly agree that it should probably be um, in Asian, Asian-American actors, whatever. But mm-hmm. I, I will say this. There are, there are two things. One thing that I know about the character somewhat just from looking, researching. Yeah. That gave me pause for a second mm-hmm. and that is that she appears uh, from the couple of photos I've seen to have rather large breasts, mm-hmm. which Scarlett Johansson, Johansson also happens to have large breasts. Mm-hmm. Now oh let's see. God. <laughs> I've put two and two together. Oh shit. Cause there's two. Uh, anyways. <laughs> so let's just back up here for a second. Okay. N- uh, me knowing how people on the internet are and how pissed off people were when Gal Gadot was cast as Wonder Woman. They're like, she doesn't have big enough boobs to be Wonder Woman. Yeah. Do you think there would have been an outrage if an Asian actress was casted in this role did not have large breasts and the internet culture would have been like what the fuck like she's supposed to be like this because there's this male gaze perspective yeah. on things like that yeah you know I'm, I'm i'm not trying to change around the argument or anything no, no, but no, no, no. i'm just i'm just saying that that that's part of it that where it's just like th- there is never going to be a good answer i feel like for a live action version of what this film may or may not end up being. Yeah, see, um, I'm, I actually really actually appreciate that question a lot more, um, even if it's just like talking about like the 
the the, the physical characteristic of the the major's breasts or bust mm-hmm. size or whatever because I almost half suspected and not not even everybody's been been lobbing this whole thing about like but the but the character looks white and I'm just like, <laughs> I I'm gonna fucking break that over my fucking knee that stupid ass like flimsy ass argument um but basically um going going back to answering your question about the whole bus size thing um uh max landis kind of like said in his his video it was like there aren't his argument was that there weren't enough like major like japanese female um actresses out there to be able to carry a ghost in the shell film that would actually have that kind of budget and so he says like you should be happy that because scarlett johansson probably is the best thing to happen in that film because now you get a ghost in the shell film and i and i would retort to that by saying well then i don't want a ghost in the shell film because i already have one and ghost in the shell is already one of the most uh influential like animated films for the fact that it influenced the wachowskis to make the matrix and, uh, maybe i'm off on this but i've never really heard anyone pining for a live action no ghost one. in the shell film no one so. has no one has <laughs> um n- no one is as pined for an acura film either but they're still trying to like make that happen and it's just like this current trend of basically hollywood like taking Taking two stories in the in the form of Ghost in a Shell and Acura, stories that are centered around and are and are that are not only centered around but are focused on a culture and on a, a country that is to this date, hopefully, God willing, the only country that has ever had to like experience firsthand the power of nuclear devastation and somehow in a roundabout way find a way to make it about the very country that bombed them. It's not it's not about the people who, you know, actually like rose from that existential pit of hell and were able to like build themselves up back again. It's about like the benevolent people who bombed into hell. So I think that's that's really gross and fucking stupid. It's gonna be very interesting to see what the actual story is for the film. And uh, I, I have to say that I feel like it we we would be um, kind of going against ourselves if we didn't do an episode on this down the road. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely I've 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 done a lot of soul searching about it. I'm I'm definitely gonna watch it because I am a huge Ghost in the Shell fan, and I and I don't want to see I don't want this film to fail. B- believe me, anything that's related to Ghost in the Shell, I want it to succeed and be well on its own. And I'm not saying that Caucasian people can't be in a Ghost in the Shell film. I think that certain characters within the pre-existing like continuity, and I don't want to just like make an argue off of canon, but just like from this like general story frame, like I feel like there are two at least two or three as many like characters that could easily be Caucasian and it would really like bring something new to that whole like franchise to be able to talk about like the, the idea of nationality and ethnicity and other things like that while also having like this really cool existential like story about like transhumanism and shit. Uh, I was going to say some would say you can't have a Caucasian person without Asian. <laughs> And you've just been on a roll on this little bonus episode. This has been great. God. Uh, the, the other thing I wanted to bring up really quickly, yeah. uh, and, and this, I guess I, my, my point about this is that this is not necessarily a Hollywood problem as it is a cinema in, in, in the world problem, mm-hmm. which is people wanting to pander to their knowing what their audience is and knowing who their audience is going to be and who they want their audience to be. Yeah. Um, and, and what makes me say that has been my two trips I've made to Europe. Mm. Uh, and, the, and the interesting view of how cinema is portrayed there, where often the, uh, the titles of films are changed to um, get them more interesting, I guess, to the people. Uh, in Paris in 2013, 
two movie posters that I saw that were very surprising were for uh, the first version of the film The Purge, uh, which the title was changed there to American Nightmare. Yeah, it is an American Nightmare. <laughs> yeah, but that's not what the title... And I, again, and Harry I Potter and the Philosopher's Stone we just talked about. I was changed the Sorcerers. Right. But it, it, and the other one that was the, the most glaring, ridiculous nonsense I, I could imagine is that I saw a poster uh, over and over in Paris, like nonstop, everywhere I saw this poster, and it was for the movie Red 2. And the only person on this poster was Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. <laughs> and he, I've never seen either of those movies, but he seems like an extremely non-consequential character to the story. That's actually a real trend, too, in uh, the country we're kind of talking about, which is Japan. If you yeah. look at their, like, the Japanese posters of a lot of American movies, that's kind of always, uh, not always, but there's a huge trend as far as, like, why is that person front and center? Because they're always, like, trying to appeal to whatever, and that country. Look at, um, I don't, I, I guess it wasn't, I don't, I don't think it was Germany. Maybe it was Russia. Some country where the movie uh, with Vince Vaughn, Couples Retreat, was out. The the African American couple was removed from the poster in that country. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, uh, that's a no fly zone. <laughs> Moving I, on. I, I guess. I guess all I wanted to say about that is that I feel like countries wanting to show people who are the the people who are from that country. Mm. Even though Scarlett Johansson is technically Canadian, uh, show people from that live in that culture front and center in their property. It, I can't say that it's necessarily only a Hollywood problem forcing it down because I feel like it's more of a film culture problem. Yeah, that's 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 also part of the the argument that Max Landis made, and it's like I think that. Well, that is true. I also think that it's it's kind of cowardly for them to hide behind the whole, like, we're just so scared. We don't know who our audience is anymore. We try to have all these surveys, and then we make the movie, and then it's bad, and we don't make enough money, and we just don't know what to do. Our hands are tied. How about you fucking, like, fall on your face once for the right reasons? How about you actually try to make a faithful film and just, you like, you can you can keep on cranking out shit every single Every single year. And even though like a film like Scott Pilgrim did not make gangbusters, I guarantee that people will refer back to that film and will enjoy that film more than than three-fourths of the tripe that, that they dish out like every single fucking but year. But remember, it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what a film looks like. The and, box office is really... Right. That's all that really matters to people who make the films. Pacific Rim only got made because Charlie Hunnam was the main character and not somebody more in line with what we typically see in a kaiju film. And, yeah. you know, like, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, Rinko uh, right. King, uh, Kinakuchi, who was in uh, one of my favorite films from last year, which was, uh, what was it called? It was... The Kumiko the Treasure Kumiko Hunter. Kumiko the Treasure Hunter, yeah, yeah. I, well, and, and this is obviously not the first time that, any, that something like this has happened. We've seen whitewashing... Gods of Egypt. Marlon Brando yeah. played an oh. Asian person once. Well, uh, we we don't need to get into all the the white people who have played other ethnicities. <laughs> yeah, because it will we'll be here all day. Yeah. Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at oh, Tiffany's. Oh, for God's sakes! Um, and I think you're talking about Exodus. Gods. That's and what Kings. I meant. I yeah. I will always confuse those two horrible <laughs> movies. <laughs> 
I don't think you even see Gods of Egypt, have you? I don't need to. Doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. yeah, you saw Exodus though. I saw his Facebook rant, uh, the director of <laughs> Gods of Egypt, and yeah. uh, that was enough for me. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. Closing out this this uh, whole discussion we we've had uh, about week in review and uh, the other kind of things that have been happening, or we're getting towards the end of slow movie season and into big time blockbuster all the people were kind of bashing a little bit here when it released a ghost in the shell who have put all their money in these films coming out are you guys excited for the crop of of major hollywood films that are coming out this summer or, or no no just just plain no there's nothing out there for you i know uh i know you're at least somewhat excited for the x-men movie yeah that i'm excited for mm-hmm. um nice guys even though it's not like a big blockbuster, I think... That's the big thing, is that I just generally forget what's actually coming out. But, um, <laughs> no, nice guys, for sure. And the X-Men movie. I'll say one thing about the X-Men movie, considering it kind of has to do with what we're talking about yeah. just previously, is that even without seeing it and without ever reading a single X-Men comic, just based on my trailer, and I think this might be why you have a lukewarm reaction to it, Alex, but mm-hmm. something I'm kind of excited for is it kind of looks like maybe the most comic booky superhero movie to date. Like, if it lives up to what we see in the trailer, which is just this very, like, I, I don't know, esoteric and, like, color-bursting, mm-hmm. just romp uh which would normally I, scare me yeah <laughs> it would scare you i was gonna ask if you were referring to like um apocalypse becoming huge while he's holding down that quicksilver cool. yeah, yeah like cool. all these just very i would say larger than life images instead like for for me the x-men movies have always been pretty grounded even though they all have like power you know but like they, there's you know and i'm sure it goes back to the books themselves, but it's always been very heavy movies compared to some other superhero movies. I mean, you have things like the Holocaust and, and whatnot. Here, mm-hmm. we, we, we just have a, a group of superheroes fighting a big-ass purple monster, and like that, mm-hmm. that just kind of looks exciting. Who also has recruited some of the, the very... Yeah. Even though they're not necessarily superheroes, we kind of got left off with Magneto at a very unusual place at the end of Days of Future Past. So, yeah, so, so I'm actually kind yeah. of excited. Anyway, so yeah. I'm excited for that and the nice guys for sure. Yeah. I am. Uh, I'm not really excited for the big tentpole films. I'm looking. I'm looking forward to Swiss Army Man, even though I know you guys have already seen it at. at oh, I'm Sun- looking forward to go Sun- see it. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I think the trailer looked great. I I like m- music video directors becoming directors. I mean, if that was the case, then. I mean, we have Spike Jones and we have Michelle Gondry. Like, those are two of my favorite directors. David uh, Fincher. Yep. Um, High Rise, I'm looking forward to. Rogue One, I'm looking forward to. Uh, well, that doesn't come out until December. I know, but but still, like, it's later on this year. Oh, okay. That's but fine. As, as a, as we'll a, as a, as a summer, it. like, tentpole film that I am looking forward to, that's not necessarily, like, in this country, but in Japan, I'm looking forward to the new uh, Godzilla film. Now, is Godzilla white or is he <laughs> Japanese? Uh, Godzilla is a lizard. Godzilla is a lizard that was uh, mutated. Animals don't have nationalities. Uh, they don't. They, wow. they, they actually don't. Thanks for not what's, playing the lawn here. What's Tucson. next? They don't have souls either. Um, <laughs> Jesus I, I'm not going to even get into that one. Uh, Godzilla Resurgence, uh, directed by Hideki Anno. Uh, the the trailer for that is is fucking incredible. Like Godzilla it does not look like Godzilla from the Gareth Edwards film. He looks like. He looks like a dog that got lost in a bramble patch and then, like, fought a radioactive hedgehog because his entire fucking face looks so fucked up and full of, like, like thorns and shit. I love it. I'll say the uh, the few films I'm excited for, other than Suicide Squad, which I think I've already mentioned, I'm really looking forward to. Uh, I 
randomly am really excited to see the next Independence Day movie. Uh, the oh, first... yeah, that's the thing that's coming out. Yeah, it just looks like it could be at least somewhat entertaining, yeah. which is, is something. Yeah, dope. Uh, and the other two films that I'm definitely looking forward to uh, coming out are the uh, the next Jason Bourne film, which... I saw the trailer for that today. Yeah. It's a franchise I've actually never been that interested in, but what? if you if you if you get me uh, exploding cars in the middle of the Las Vegas Strip, I'm already on board. I hope they you, they use the exact same ending song that they used for the first three films. <laughs> Moby. Yeah, Moby. I fucking love that song. the The other one I wanted to mention was the uh, the movie we just saw the trailer for today, which is the uh, the founder starring Michael Keaton about uh, Ray Kroc, which. Yes, you, Tucson, as you mentioned, it looked kind of uh, in the uh, style of the big short and the Wolf of Wall Street, mm-hmm. even though it's not necessarily about finance, uh, but... It's about real estate. Yeah, I'm I'm interested nonetheless. Yeah. And I'm interested when you think about it, Nick. I think you've already told me you're excited for the uh, the animated, funny film, uh, ridiculous film called Sausage Party. <laughs> for I'm, real? I'm, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm interested in seeing it. I'm not saying, like, it's... Uh... Like I'm guaranteed to like it or something, but I'm based on the trailer. I'm very interested in seeing what 90 minutes of that looks like, so to speak. I am too. To be honest um, with you. Speaking of, now you just reminded me of a movie I am very much looking forward to that uh, Alex will probably not be seeing. Was it? Is it Keanu? Oh well, actually, yeah, because that that looks great. But uh, <laughs> no, I was talking about the Lonely Islands new movie. Uh, oh, never stop stopping. <sighs> I love that. Oh my god, I'm looking forward to that. Yes. Yeah. Great. That looks great. Yeah. Well, good. You guys should have a good time seeing. No, you that. know what? We're gonna do an episode out of it. Oh yeah, there we go. Yeah, I forced you guys to do episodes, so I'll, that is true. I'll own up to it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, good, uh, good stuff, guys. And maybe we'll do one of these episodes down the road. Just, uh, just talking about current events and, and little things. Can I ask you a really important question, really quick, sure. before we end? Because it just hit me. Are you saying you don't want to see Keanu? <laughs> no, I just thought that's where we were going oh, with okay. that. Because then we couldn't be friends. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll see it. Like that's, and I, I mean, I'll pretty much see anything other than a couple exceptions where I'm hardlined against seeing uh, a film. But no, I, I read an article all about the training of the seven kitties that they oh use, and oh my oh god, my I god. Can't. And I'll say this much: they, they act legitimately. Tra- hey, this is real. Uh-huh. They legitimately use the cats. Without CGI, like that, huh. that was kind of like their big thing with that. So, like when there's a scene in the tray where you even see where the little Keanu is dodging these uh, the bullet squibs and all that, uh, it, that's really happening. They had to train it over and over to to do what it, you know, and animal cruelty. No, <laughs> all seven kitties were adopted at the end of the production. Aww. So if Tilikum gets adopted, that'll be fine with everybody. What if t- the the whale that killed the girl in um, Sea World, Blackfish? Nope. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I think that's a different situation because cats are awesome and whales are <laughs> stupid. I think that's yes, a Nick. really nice place to end this off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we sh- should definitely do something like this again down the road. This was fun. So yeah. let's do it every week. Uh, Maybe. We'll see. Every other week. Uh, (laughs) All right. So, uh, again, uh, you can always find our episodes on filmtankshow.com or on iTunes or Stitcher. And you can also uh, find us at filmtankshow at gmail.com if you want to get in touch with us about an upcoming film or anything that is film or television related. Yep. 
So from Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much for listening to this bonus episode of Film Tank. We'll catch up with you next time. 